1: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom it's time for the down and nerdy podcast here's your host james with time to vote for infinity and beyond it's episode 425 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James with him. How does that make sense, what I just said? Well, gonna be talking about Disney and Pixar's Lightyear this week. It's been a couple weeks since the movie's been out, but I'm going I got a chance to talk to Efren Ramirez about playing Airman Diaz on the movie. You might remember Efren Ramirez as Pedro on Napoleon Diamond as well. Remember Vote for Pedro? Well he's yeah, he's that guy. And he voiced Airman Diaz in Lightyear, and he's got some really interesting thoughts. Not just about the character, but as the movie, uh, the movie overall. And I really can't wait for you to hear what he had to say. So many reviews to get to this week as well. Got Superman, Lois, The Flash, The Terminalist, The Princess, all going to be a part of this week's show. Yeah, there's plenty of trailers to talk about. Some Comic-Con news with Comic-Con coming up. And, you know, I'll be there covering everything. The craziness in San Diego is back. And I can't wait to get back into it here in a few weeks so yeah let's dive right in and start talking about Lightyear with efren ramirez we'll do that next on the down and nerdy podcast this is cartoonist scott a young and you're listening to down and nerdy podcast whether you've seen it or not you know that disney and pixar's Lightyear is in theaters now and i'm so amazing to finally get an origin story for this character and a big part if you've seen this guy in the trailer if you haven't seen the movie yet you might wonder who is this guy airman diaz and you might recognize the name of the guy who voices him as well. It's Efren Ramirez. Efren, how you doing, man?
2: Hey. <laughs> good, good.
1: So, movie's been on for a couple weeks now. Have you had a chance to kind of sit back and reflect on the experience, what it was like to be part of just a Pixar project in general? Because that's got to be huge, man.
2: When I step outside of the work, I'm very lucky to be a part of something that big. You know, whether it's a Pixar story where it's, it's like the origins of, uh, Buzz Lightyear you know and I I, I gotta tell you I remember uh, when my agent called me up and they said yeah man they're really interested in you and playing this character and I thought like because you know when, when when I read for it I didn't know I mean they changed the name of the characters the scenes were a little bit different and I'm going what is this <laughs> you know I had no idea what it was until at some point it dawned on me you know when I thought finally they, they wouldn't announce who it was and it was something new and I thought, I think it was one of the lines that Buzz Lightyear says and his character was, he had a different name then. I thought like, wait a minute, is it—is this Buzz Lightyear? <laughs> I go, wait a minute, am I talking to Buzz Lightyear? <laughs> so that's when I, I i got really excited and I thought, okay, all right, cause you, you, you know, I knew it had something to do with space and I knew that it, it was like a new frontier per se. So, so I was playing Airman Diaz very serious because I know it was very military and you're dealing with science and science engineering and, and crystals on a new planet. And I thought, like, yeah, I gotta be just as serious to that. And I thought, wait a minute, it's Pixar. Oh, wait, wait a minute. And then and I can't remember what line it was. Not to Infinity and Beyond, but there was something that he said. And I thought, like, wait, this has to be Buzz Lightyear. This has to be the origin story. And I go, yes, okay, all right okay, so how do I play, how do I play Airman Diaz? And like, well, what would he be like working along with Buzz Lightyear? And I thought like, oh, and that's when I, I started to find the actual voice of the of Diaz. And I started to really live through that character. And, and the rest is, well, to infinity and beyond.
1: <laughs> Which has got to be an amazing, amazing feeling for sure. But, you know, sometimes when you meet a character, you don't always know everything that went into that character. In the case of Buzz Lightyear, I mean, who knows? who he would have been without somebody like Airman Diaz by his side, which got me thinking. So do you kind of look at the character of Buzz differently now after being a part of this?
2: Yeah, but you know what? It's, it's. I, I got to tell you, I, I working with Pixar for about a year and a little over a year and a half because it takes, it took forever one because of COVID, and two, animation and the process of it, 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 it's, it there's a lot of technology into this. I mean, it's their first sci-fi, so for all those who haven't seen it yet, once you go up to the theaters and you really see the graphics in this, it's just—it's just incredible, you know. And I and you know, it, it, it's amazing with what how different technology has become as compared to 1995, like for the very first Toy Story, I believe. So. I see him. I see more of him because you kind of know that he he's curious about something that's that's out there, but he's also a sort of like his own leader. And even though that's great, there's there's some 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 things that are missing about that, which is which is teamwork. And even when I spend time over at NASA learning about science engineering and, and, and spending time with a few astronauts. You know, I think like I want to learn about what's like creating rovers and technology and how we're trying to get to Mars and all that, which is really cool. But I also realized that everybody in their precision were working together. And I thought like, oh, oh yeah, that, that, that's important. that's And that's what I wanted to add for Herman Diaz. And, I, and, I, and, and it's funny because that's what but lightyear ends up realizing that that as much as he's a go get him kind of guy and he's a he's a true leader ambitious and driven that you need a team you know and if you gotta you got to be able to have a group of people so that we could all work together to make things happen to go after what you want uh, to discover new worlds and new dreams you know I, I, it, it's great to be a part of of the story where you get to see that you get to see that recognition and throughout the years or decades you know it's that process of of being able to learn something new and 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 that's wonderful to see
1: no doubt about that man now if anyone that has seen it you know there's a lot of fun things about airman diaz but i gotta know from you man what was your favorite thing about playing this character
2: i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say this because i'm i'm really smart even though i get so nervous being around buzz lightyear because i know he's just awesome I'm an expert when it comes to science and engineering, so it is possible that Airman Diaz probably created socks.
1: Oh, I think he just dropped. I think he just dropped some big, like, mind-blowing knowledge on us right there. I, I can't I can't disagree with you.
2: Yeah, I I, I don't think I've ever said it to any of my interviews. You know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, because you you see that throughout the entire time. You know, he's so curious with science and engineering and, and spacecraft and aeronautics and, and, and robotics and the crystals and everything that he's learning on that new planet that, you know, sucks, ends up finishing the, the, the and, and gets the answers on what the crystals can do and how, and how to mix the right amount of, of, I don't want to give so much away, of the right uh, energy for the crystals that allow the, the XL-14 to get to where he needs to go but Erman Diaz was part of the exile One and we never really explored because we there's there's that, that 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 time jump. So and because of that time jump we really don't know who created Socks or that new sandwich. So I just thought Ooh. like you know, I mean he was a little heavy you know so
1: <laughs> then nothing wrong with the man the man like to eat that's all I mean it's You're hey, like,
2: hey. hey. Right? He, he, loved his, he loved his meat, and he was probably eating that when he was creating socks. There you go. Wow. Go. Yeah, just
1: yeah, just put them right together. I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So, yeah. I mean, if you're going to have a new voice of Buzz Lightyear, though, Efren, who better to get than Captain America himself? So what do you feel like Chris Evans actually brought to the role of Buzz?
2: You know, first of all, you know, Chris Evans is such a really great guy. He's a really nice guy. And, and he's an actor. To be able to play a number of characters. It was amazing to, to hear his voice in Buzz Lightyear's kind of character because you need somebody who, who has a resonance of leadership, who has a resonance of confidence to take it to infinity and beyond. Not only did he do a great job, but, but Kiki and Peter, Taika, Mary, and Uzo, Everybody had a specific job to do, and they and they filled it. And again, you know, I, I think Bill Hader was, is, is in it too. He plays he plays a, a young a young space cadet who just doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So it was pretty funny. But everybody on the project is just incredible. And one of the things they got to say about Pixar is that they really take their stories into into uh, consideration of 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 heart and their mind so that it'll last for years to come. And their stories are about inclusion, are about hope, are about diversity, all about curiosity of the future and the possibilities that we could all work together. And as, as separated as we were, especially doing voiceover for animation, and we are like, we're working at different schedules and different times, and because it was COVID times, we also understood the importance of trying to do our part the most possible. And Angus was really good at that. And so was Galen um, and everybody, everybody who was involved. So when you see the film, you, you really see that you really get a sense of, of something, something greater of beyond himself, which is really cool.
1: And it had to be really, really cool. Now every Pixar movie, everyone has kind of this niche character that fans seem to always fall in love with outside of like the main character. So what's the fan response been like for you? for airman diaz and do you think that uh, the airman's kind of starting to build his own following there a little bit
2: uh, <laughs> well i don't know i don't know about that i just think that people who are like airman diaz kind of like me it's wonderful to see one that we are in the future and two that we exist because it's nice to know that I, you have somebody who you can relate to i as an actor i'm very picky when it comes to jobs, I don't, I don't just play anything, you know, I, I, I gotta make sure that the individual has a unique vision and a unique point of view. Uh, as an artist, I want to make sure that there's, that the character is searching for beyond himself, which I've been fortunate since Napoleon Dynamite to do. So, so if I can make a difference through the character's life, then People around the world can relate to somebody like Erman Diaz and go, yeah, you know what? I have something to say and I have there's something that I can do that can make, make a difference in, in, in somebody's life. And he he does so when he's with working with Buzz Lightyear. You know, he works with the crystals and he really is 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 curious about how to make it work. So I thought that was really nice. And then so, so when I think about the idea of socks, maybe it is possible that that uh, Diaz created him. Ha! So, who
1: knows? and maybe we'll get the answer to that in the future. Maybe we won't. We'll just have to wait and see. But right now, you can go see Lightyear in theaters from Disney and Pixar. It is available now. And of course, we won't be too much longer. Probably a few more weeks until we maybe see it on Disney Plus as well. And you can find out even more about and Diaz from this guy. It's Efren Ramirez. Thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll announce it on my Instagram when it'll come out and and, and any new new um, stories about about light year that I'm able to, to say and announce because it's, it's always a new exploration for, for the studios to, to endeavor. So we'll see.
1: Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thanks man.
1: And when you cut through all the noise on social media and things like that, Buzz Lightyear's Lightyear movie from Disney and Pixar is just fun. There's some good heart and soul. To this movie, like Efren was saying, it's it's sci-fi and it's something that we're not used to seeing from Pixar. They were able to crank that up a little bit, make that make a ton of sense. There are a lot of good reasons to watch this movie. And hopefully, Efren Ramirez, who plays Airman Diaz, just gave you plenty more reasons to do that. Again, thanks to Efren Ramirez for joining me this week to talk about Disney and Pixar's light year. Up next, we'll head to the Superman and Lois season two finale, and I'll be dropping spoilers with my review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hi, this is David Hayward from Supergirl. Uh, you listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast?
1: There's one thing I know in life, it's that people have a lot of trouble merging, and that is certainly the case in the season two finale of Superman and Lois. Going to give you plenty of spoilers in my review. They're coming up, so just be ready for that if you haven't seen season two, episode 15, yeah, but I got to say, it, it, this is one of those times where it almost felt like, and I say almost because, you you know, you're pretty sure things are going to work out for your heroes. Obviously, if the show's been renewed, that's a good bet. But this is one of those times where I go, okay, they could lose this, and this could somehow carry over into next season. Probably won't, but you almost got that sense that they might, right? Because Allie was doing everything that she needed to do and after the merge to kind of bring the planets together. And then you see that weird scene where you've got like the disciples just, you know, basking themselves in this red sun, thinking that they'd won and that the merge was going to happen. You know, there's always one side that wants the merger to happen and one side doesn't. Clearly they were on the side that really wanted this merger to happen. But at the same time, even though Clark was powerless, you had to feel like there was going to be a way. He was going to get those power, powers back. Now, throwing him into the sun, I don't necessarily think that I would have called that one. But that was a pretty cool moment when he does, when when, when Tal kind of throws him into the sun there. You, you know he's going to be okay, right? I know the family was worried, but, you know, as a fan, you know he's going to be okay. And then once he came out of that, like almost like bigger and stronger than ever, that was, that was a big wow moment. And then, of course, you know, Superman does what he does. And he saves the day. However... One thing I'm not sure that I'm seeing enough of is how John Henry Irons and Natalie Irons, father and daughter, reunited in the void, were, what were a huge, huge reason why this merge never happened and saved the day. So when there's this big Superman celebration in the middle of Smallville and everybody's just so excited, oh, Superman's back and and save the town once again, yay for Superman, and I'm like, where's the freaking parade for the Irons family, huh? I know that, you know, Lana's mayor, and she's got a history with Clark, and you know, maybe she doesn't know enough about John and Natalie, but quite frankly, they should, they deserve their own little freaking celebration and parade. As far as I'm concerned, you know, they used all the powers, power from their suit, they, you know, they tossed the pot in there, didn't know how they were going to get back, and then all of a sudden, again, things just sort of worked out. So I think that they deserve, deserve a ton of credit. And I know that, you know, Clark's going to give them plenty of credit. And I know Lois will as well. But at the same time, you know, we'd be nice to get recognized at the same time, wouldn't it? I got to say, though, as far as Lois goes, a lot of great stuff from Lois in this episode as well. Elizabeth Tulloch just just such a wonderful job in that role. And just another thing that I really loved was when Jonathan and Jordan told Natalie, because Natalie was just, she thought she lost her dad. She thought she wasn't going to get a chance to say goodbye, just like with her mom. And she's going to go run off and maybe do something a little bit reckless to try and save the day. When Jordan and Jonathan told her that she was family too, and that flipped the switch for her a little bit. She wasn't really expecting that. That was a really, really cool moment because I don't think she ever... She never fully felt like family, right? And maybe you make the argument that she's not, okay? I get that. But when they gave her that validation, I thought that that was a really neat moment that kind of flew under the radar of this episode. And again, really good special effects in this episode too. You got to give your credit to the effects team. Clearly spared no expense. For this one, for sure, because there was a lot of really cool effects in this episode. It was good seeing, seeing Adam Rainer back as Tal. And I got to say, him going to the other to the other world in search of his bizarro wife, that's going to get interesting really, really quick, won't it? Huh, Lana? Hmm? Possibly? Maybe? I don't know. We'll have to see how that shakes out in season three. Another fun thing that happened was when Lois tells Chrissy that Clark is Superman, and her reaction to it is kind of the reaction I think I'd have if somebody told me the same thing about somebody I knew really closely. You, you almost don't want to believe it at first, and then once it hits you like a ton of bricks, you're not really sure how to react to it. I mean, obviously, there's a cool factor there, but you know I, I think that you'd have to be honest and say you'd react pretty similarly to how Chrissy did, and how's, how are things going to be now that she knows? and can she keep her cool and can she keep the secret? I don't know. That see to me I'm a little worried about that one. So I I don't know. I mean she's a, I get it. She's a rock. She's a good reporter, but I I got to I got to wait and see on this one for sure. Then John Diggle shows up too in this episode. And he's talking to John Henry Irons and said, "Look, Bruno Mannheim killed the John Henry of this earth. Let's find out why." and getting to drop that Bruno Mannheim name and this is something that's kind of been teased for a while in the airverse and you've also got the Intergang that's going to be a part of this as well and I think that that's going to be a big big storyline for season 3 and I think Bruno Mannheim is a good way to go in this third season and see how they can play that whole story out but there's some nice stuff to get wrapped up at the end of the season too it looks like Jordan and Sarah back together that's really nice and you know, they're being more open and honest with each other. Kyle doesn't really get the answer that he wants from Lana. But, you know, should he? I mean, he, he did mess up pretty good. And is there a future there for them? I don't know. I don't know that there should be, quite frankly. But it's something to keep an eye on. But this show just uh, still exudes so much heart and family. And you just want only good things for a lot of members. Of this cast and a lot of these characters, it's not just Superman and Lois like the title suggests. It's the boys. It's the extended family. It's the Irons. It's almost almost everybody, quite frankly. And there's just a humanizing nature of this show. This show feels, these characters feel reachable. And in a Superman series, I continue to say this when I talk about the show, that's not easy to do to make a Superman series have characters that feel reachable. And I get it, there's some anger about finding out in the finale that, okay, this isn't Earth Prime, this is a different Earth, and that, you know, it screws up continuity and all that stuff. It doesn't matter if it's, it doesn't, to me, as long as we're telling a good story here, finding out that this isn't the Superman that maybe you saw in something else, you know, after a crisis, everything's up for grabs as far as I'm concerned. So I don't even think this should be a huge surprise. And if this is the reason that you're not going to keep watching this show, then I don't really know what to tell you. To to me, that doesn't make sense. That This is your reason for bailing on the show. So, I mean, hey, I'm going to keep watching. If you keep watching, cool. If not, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fans that are going to keep watching this series for a lot of different reasons. So I'm really, really looking forward to season three of Superman and Lois on the CW and season two definitely lived up to the hype. No sophomore slump here. If you haven't started binging it yet, make sure you do that. You can do that right now on the CW app, but I'm sure we'll get an HBO Max release very, very soon or Netflix as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the season two finale of Superman and Lois. Up next, we'll do the same thing for The Flash season eight on the Down and Nerdy podcast. Hey guys, this is Violet from The Flash. and You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. It is the season 8 finale of The Flash, which aired, of course, on The CW this week. And I'm going to give you my spoiler-filled review of that. And yeah, Barry and company have been going through a lot. You've got Iris, who is quote-unquote gone, but we find that out pretty quickly that she's not gone. Kind of figured that. Anyway, you've got... Eubard, who's gone as well, and that's, you know, obviously affecting Fast Track in a great, great way. Just, the, you know, her and Barry are both grieving at this point and for the same reason. So they're kind of, in, if for lack of a better way of putting it, feeding off of their energy. But I love how Bart and Nora are really trying to ground their dad. They're trying to, be, you know, keep him centered because obviously, obviously, He wants to kill Thawne for what he's done or what he thinks he's done anyway. And it's just, Barry goes to that place sometimes, doesn't he? Where he absolutely just thinks the worst has happened. And this is not the first time that Barry's gone to this dark place and he's thought the worst. And he's wanted to do something that he probably shouldn't do. But there's always somebody there to bring him back and it's usually Iris. Iris is not there. So the kids step in. And fill that role, and you see Cecile tries to do that. You know Chester, like they, everybody tries to help Barry, but Barry needs Iris in moments like this. So when he didn't, it doesn't have Iris. It affects him a great, great deal, and you see how much he needs her. And that is the power of Iris. It's not just, of course, tied to Barry. She doesn't exist to help Barry, but at the same time, Barry can't exist without Iris, and that there, there is a power to that, that is incredible, and it's very palpable in this show. And then you get to see again how powerful Iris really is, and you know, being I love how they tied that up to the whole Timestone thing from Armageddon, and you bring back Damian Dark just for that moment. I like Damian Dark more this way, by the way. I used to hate Damian Dark; I thought he was a terrible villain. But what Damien Dark's become in the Arrowverse, I really, really enjoy. And I, I'm i normally not the guy, and you know this, saying, you, you know, don't hero up the villain. But the way they've done this with Damien Dark has, has maybe kind of changed my mind on that a little bit in this particular instance. So you see Iris finding her way pretty easily, by the way, out of the time stone. And I think it's interesting that it took a pep talk for Damien Dark to, from Damien Dark to really make her realize, you know, just how powerful... She is. And I think that that's something that they're trying to tell us in this show, right? It's like, hey, Iris is powerful, both literally and metaphorically. And I think you need to realize that, that we're not putting that on the shelf. We know this. We hear you. We're trying to show you pay attention sort of thing. And I really love how that story kind of rounded out. And obviously, there's going to be more threats from the negative speed force at some point. And you kind of see how that whole thing goes down with Thawne tapping into the energy of the entire negative speed force. And then Barry, thanks to Cecile, you know, and her transfer of powers and bringing things back to the positive speed force, you get to see Barry kind of cancel Thawne out at that, at the very, very last moment there. And that was, you know, not an epic battle. It it ended pretty easily and pretty quickly. I think it's the power of positivity though. That really needs to be highlighted here. And again, in in the world, and no, this is not a political rant, so don't hit the fast forward button. But the way the world is now, we could use a lot more positivity and a signal that the power of positivity is always going to be greater than the power of negativity. You hear me, Twitter? (laughs) I'm just saying that, that that is a good message for this show to send is that positive energy will always win over negative energy. And I re- and easily, too, by the way. Yes, this was a battle in, in, in a certain sense. But seeing the way that that positive energy just completely wiped out the negative energy, at least in the short term anyway, was really, really incredible. But then also the acknowledgement at the end from Barry and Iris, That, you know, negative energy doesn't really go away. This negative speed force isn't going to go away. It's going to come back. But when it does, now we'll know how to deal with it. And the calmness and the positivity that they showed to deal with it is very, very interesting that the way and the way that they go. And then you thought Cecile lost her powers. Apparently, she's got different powers now, or at least some sort of changed powers. I'm very curious to see where they end up going with that thing next season and again there's just if this is the final season of the flash coming up i want to know how they're going to wrap this up and again eventually iris has got to get pregnant at some point they, they, they're gonna have these kids we know that bart and nora are going to exist but they've got to exist at some point so you guys have got to uh you know get to work at some point although i the final episode of the flash like the very final episode If that's either A, Iris is pregnant, or B, Iris gives birth, then that makes complete sense as an end of the show for me. And will that happen this season or in a 10th season? Who knows? But for now, I thought that this was a decent season of The Flash. Not the best, because that's a high bar, especially when you've had eight seasons, but I think they did a really good job of tying up some loose ends in this particular episode for a couple of different storylines. And it was just very enjoyable, especially the latter half of the season. For me, I thought they did a good job with this whole storyline. And we'll just have to wait and find out who's going to be the villain for season nine or villains and see who might be back as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of the season eight finale of The Flash up next. Now we're going to head to Prime Video we're talking about the terminal list. And I'll do that without spoilers. This just dropped. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is... writer Alex Irvine, and
2: you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: A mission gone horribly wrong, and now the investigation is on. It's the terminal list from Prime Video, the new series now streaming, starring Chris Pratt, although apparently he doesn't like to be called Chris, so maybe I should just call him Pratt or CP or whatever he wants to be called. Well, we'll maybe we'll just go with Pratt, just to kind of cut through the formalities a little bit but this series actually is based on a novel as well if you didn't if you need to know more go to com. my page for the terminalist tell you all you need to know about the behind the scenes but I, i've got to say this this series follows james reese he's a navy seal of course you know from the description that something very bad happens to his platoon and everybody's wiped out but him. And then things sort of start to unravel for, Ree- for Reese from there. Now, I, again, I'm not going to go through point by point because I want to keep this spoiler free as much as I possibly can. But this series as a whole, if I'm being completely honest, is a little bit all over the place. It's a little bit of a mess as far as its organizational structure. It's got a little bit too much going on for its own good. And it just feels very, I don't know, robotic is the best way that I can really put it. And it's not the acting necessarily. There, it's, it's not really the, there's no real wooden characters in this series. There's some, you know, there's some tropes and stereotypes and things like that for certain characters, especially inside the military. That's understandable. But something just felt very mechanical, about this. It's almost, it, it's a bit heartless in a way too. And I'm not saying that everything has to have heart, but at the same time, you've got James Reese, who's had all this stuff happen to him, who you're trying to figure out, you know, exactly what's going on inside his head. And yet it, I, I want to feel bad for Reese. And I do on a human level and that. If that was my family, and this was happening to me, you know, I'd be devastated but at the same time, like he's not a very redeemable guy, for some reason, I I, I don't know if it's if it's, it's it's because he's a little reckless or he's a little lost or what is it, but for some reason I, I just cannot necessarily get behind James Reese. Although I will say that one of my big surprises for this series was Taylor Kitsch, his character Ben Edwards. That was a character that that I did kind of find myself being drawn to he's kind of Reese's best friend and tries to keep him, you know, level in this whole thing. His presence in the show, I thought was very, very interesting. And we learn more and more about him as the show goes on as well. And then you've got Constance Wu, who plays a reporter, Katie Buranek. And man, she just has a way of getting what she needs and digging through everything. But again, and, and then she gets brought in to this whole, you know, c- confusing conspiracy thing as well. And you, you see how she kind of deals with that. And, and it's, it, it is interesting. Her part of this is de- is definitely interesting, but I kind of found myself drifting on this series. I'm like, where is this going? And am I getting enough or am I getting too much? It was really hard to kind of sometimes keep track Of where you're at in the story and making things believable, and some of the choices that get made by Reese as a character also didn't make a ton of sense to me. There's a moment I can't remember if it's in episode two or in episode three. I think it's three, where Reese does something that I kind of felt was completely unnecessary and and very much jumping to conclusions. And you know, the part of that part of this whole story is about like his mental state, right? But at the same time, he's he seemed pretty level headed and he still made a certain choice that I thought was was one that a he didn't need to make and b you know, could have been a huge mistake. And you find out more a little bit about that in future episodes. But I found myself going, you know, like, you know, what if you're wrong, dude? Or, or, you know, what if what if you need this person in some sort of way or capacity? And some of the stuff doesn't get thought through. And again, back to Reese's character, even with the family moments that we get, it doesn't have that really homey feel to it. And this is a completely different character for Chris Pratt. And that's something that maybe will will be a little bit weird for you at first. Because Chris Pratt always seems to bring some sort of lightheartedness or humor to any role that he's in. There is none of that. And I mean, you could turn that into the negative as far as James Reese is concerned, there is not a humorous bone in this guy's body. Not for lack of trying. There's some kind of, you know, lame guy jokes that he sort of tells. And, he, and it's not that he's not a good dad. It's not that he's not a good husband. It's just the character is just very kind of there. And it's not CP's fault. It's, I, I, it's hard to put my finger on it. I don't want to necessarily blame one person. But something just didn't work about the performance of that character. And the family dynamic was good, but I don't know that you necessarily get enough of that to bring out more in Reese's character. And then you've got, I thought Jean Triplehorn as Secretary Hartley was also really, really good as well. It's one of those, you know, what does she know? And, you know, what side is she on? And how much could she possibly be responsible for? This, that, and the other. I thought that she played that kind of a role very, very well. And the mystery of actually what happened in that moment of the ambush in the first episode and trying to piece that together, it's kind of interesting, but at the same time so many parts of this story I go and I look at them like, well, I've kind of seen this before. You know, I I you know, we've done this before. We're not really breaking any new ground here. I'm waiting for something a little bit different. And I'm not saying that stuff that's similar can't be good. Because there's certainly ample evidence. To the contrary, right, in other projects. But for this one, it just felt so, and scripted is not the right word either because, you know, obviously this is a scripted series. It seemed so calculated. It seemed very, very deliberate, like you knew where you were going to go and you weren't going to change your mind. It's like in football when a quarterback just looks at one receiver. You know that's where you're going with the ball no matter what. And you just throw it there anyway, and damn the consequences. That's kind of what the Terminalist felt like for me. I I know I've seen some criticisms that it's, you know, testosterone, testosterone fueled, and you know, there's a lot of graphic violence in this, and you know, it's just basically a huge commercial for the military and things like that. I didn't get that vibe of really any of those things. I really didn't. I just think that this was a series that. It's one of those ones where you've kind of seen it before. There are some different beats, but ultimately I think this is one that we've seen a million times. And for me, it's it was really hard for me to press on with this series, and that's not necessarily a good sign. Part of that is the competition that it's facing right now. There's some good stuff out there. But part of it was just like I could not get invested in this story and in the main character. And I don't care what your show's about, that hurts you if you can't get that. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Terminal List from Prime Video, which is now streaming. Up next, we'll go one more streaming service hop and talk about The Princess from Hulu. I'm James Witham. This is The Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: This is Cassie Tellis from The 100, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy
1: Podcast. You might have heard of a princess that gets locked in a tower, but not this princess. It is The Princess from 20th Century Studios, which is now streaming on Hulu. I wanted to go ahead and give my spoiler-free review of this one. And I gotta say, I've seen I definitely seen some criticism for The Princess so far, even in the early going. Let me talk about it this way. Was it a perfect movie? No. Was the story like top-notch and one of those ones you're like, oh, that's such a cool concept, such a cool idea. No, we've kind of seen something, you know, at least at its base like this before, but still, but not quite either, and I'll get into that in just a second. But if you're my age, or at least around my age, in, in your 40s, then you grew up in the era where we had things like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, we had Steven Seagal, and movies like that, where it's just like, okay, I'm not going in here for any kind of a deep plot. I want to see some cool action. I want to see some high kicks. I want to see some, you know, kind of jaw-dropping action moments. You know, know, maybe a couple of brutal things here and there that I'm not going to forget. And then I'm going to be on my way. I'm not looking for any, you know, Oscar worthy performances here. That's what I like in this movie, too. It's a 2022 version of a martial arts action movie from the 90s. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. There's certainly a place for a movie like this. There's not a ton of fantasy that gets really worked in here, there's a lot of action, there's some drama. And I will say that Joey King is the perfect badass princess that you want for a role like this. But I really think when they, play, when they pair her up with Lynn, who's played by Veronica Go, then that's when things really, really start to get juicy because you've got Joey King's skills. But then you also have Veronica getting in the mix as well with skills of her own. And it really, really kicks things up to another notch, for me anyway. And I gotta say, there's a lot of talk already about Dominic Cooper's character of Julius. And yes, he is a prick times a thousand. And all he wants is the power in the kingdom. Doesn't care about anything else. And doesn't care who he has to go through to get it. But one of the characters that I dug from this movie a lot was Moira. Who's played by... Olga Kurylenko and I'm sorry Olga for butchering your name there but I got to say just the whip stuff alone was really really great for me cuz you don't really see a whip get used as a weapon in many situations you know you think whip you think Indiana Jones but this the, the whip in this movie it it's not only is it like super deadly it's just super cool so so seeing that really added a different level to that for me but then you get to see some moments where, you know, not exact, she's not exactly been taken seriously. And there's definitely some consequences for that. And you get to see how she kind of sort of squares off against the princess herself at a certain point. So there's some really cool moments there. So as far as the action goes, top-notch. Definitely top-notch. There's some really, really cool stuff. Some inventive stuff in here, too, that you're not going to see every day there's certainly that you know is she gonna survive is she gonna make it you know who could ultimately come out on top in this movie there's a little bit of that but there's also like a, you know could, could somebody defect from one side to the other sort of thing you know the the odds are certainly against the princess how is that gonna factor in you know how are her parents gonna factor in her this whole thing and her family in general and that's an- another couple of themes that you might not think about going into this, that you are going to get at least to some extent. I have to say, though, this there were certainly parts of the plot that didn't make sense. Certainly. But, I mean, just talking about the princess, it, there, there's a lot of action that you're going to get. There's some story. I don't want to imply that there's no story. It's just a story that we haven't seen anything new regarding, really. And that's kind of a bummer. But at the same time, it was also kind of refreshing to see that focus on the action sequences. I think there was a ton to be said about that. And that's one of the things that I loved about the princess. And, but, but, and again, is it, is it going to go down in history as a classic? No, I'm absolutely not going to go down in history as a classic. But what it does do is it, is it shows, you, shows you that Joey King has a place in this action genre and also, it's a good reminder, you know, that the, the you don't always have to get the typical princess story either. And you certainly don't in this particular instance. And there's certainly some elements here that you'll find interesting. And then there's certainly some that, you know, going to make you yawn a little bit. But then you see somebody get kicked in the face or you see somebody, you, you see a great sword fight. And you kind of forget all about that, plus the whip thing. the The whip thing really gets me in this movie. That's something that I really love and once you see it, you'll know and you can see it right now. The Princess is now streaming on Hulu. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of The Princess from 20th Century Studios Up next, yep it's time to get to some nerd news and talk about the Harley Quinn trailer and plenty more on the Down and Nerdy Podcast
2: Hey, this is Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast
1: there's a new power couple in villainy, and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. It's time for nerd news. And I was so psyched when I heard that the trailer for Harley Quinn season three was going to be dropping this week. Of course, the series is going to be returning to HBO Max on July the 28th. That's when the first three episodes are going to be coming out weekly after that. And the trailer really doesn't disappoint because it's all about Ivy. Yes, that is the new ship name, whether you like it or not. That's what it's going to be, and I I like it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all, but season three is basically going to be Harley and Ivy returning to Gotham, getting their crew back together, King Shark, Clayface, and Frank the Plant. Got to have him, too, so there are the new power couple in the Gotham villain landscape. And basically, you know, it's going to be a lot of Harley and Ivy this season. You could tell, you know, where, where the relationship's going to be going and, and how much fun, how much maybe some difficulties that are going to be happening there, but also trying to get Ivy's dream to come true of having that Eden paradise in Gotham. And will they get there? We'll have to find out. But Kaylee Cuoco and Lake Bell together as Harley and Ivy have always been just the, the chemistry's just always been there between the two of them. It's just... It's so amazing that this show from the beginning has just... Uh, that relationship's always been there. It's like more... You're like... You're like Instagram official now, right? Kind of thing. So, so that's... That's the only difference here. The relationship's always been there. The dynamic's always been there. But it just... This show continues to be just the most fun version of the DC Universe as far as I'm concerned. I mean, th- this is a show that... They, they, they basically allow Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher and, and company and everybody who puts this show on, Dean Laurie as well, to just say, you know what, just do your thing. Go ahead, do your thing. And I know that there's probably stuff they've been told that they couldn't do. But allowing them to, do, to tell the story that they want to tell the way they want to tell it is one of the reasons that this show has been so great from the beginning. I can't wait to get more of Harley Quinn on July the 28th. Paper Girls is finally coming to Prime Video July the 29th. That's when that series is going to premiere and it's going to drop all eight episodes on Prime Video at the same time, which I think is really, really great. Of course, this is based on the graphic novel from from Brian K. Vaughn and Clifford Chang. And yes, we are going to get that time travel aspect in case you're not familiar with the story Basically, it's the early morning, Halloween of 1988, and you've got Aaron, Mac, Tiffany, and KJ. You know, they're out you know, doing their paper delivery. Everything seems normal, and then they're kind of transported into the future. And not only do they have to figure out a way to get back home, but they might have to save the world at the same time. So, yes, we get an older version of Aaron in the timeline, played by Ali Wong, the younger version of Aaron, played by Riley Lyellet. This just looks like it's gonna be another fun adaptation from Prime Video. And image comics is this is kind of introducing the rest of the world to the image comic stories we already loved in the first place. So I love that Prime Video is giving us the opportunity to do that once again. They did it with Invincible and now they're gonna do it with Paper Girls. And, you know, obviously there's been other stories in other places as well. But this is for anybody that's been a fan of image comics for years like I have, this is this is our finally time, right? Like finally, we're getting paper girls and so many other stories that are gonna be coming at some point. And this cast looks like it's really, really spot on. Of course, you've also got Cameron Jones playing Tiffany. You've got Sophia Rosinski who's playing Mac and Fina Straza, who's gonna be playing KJ. And it just looks like they they really, really nailed this casting, and I'm just so excited to see where this show's going to go, how faithful it's going to be to the graphic novel as well. Because you don't really—I I should say the comic, not the graphic novel—because it started out as as a single issue comic, is publishing monthly issues, just like a regular comic book series would. I, it, you don't really want to see the exact story from the comics. You do, but you don't, right? Because you've already read it. You don't. You, you want to have some surprises. So. You know, what spots are they going to be faithful? What spots are they going to be taking certain liberties? I think that that will be a fun ride. And it always is if you're a fan of a comic. And that's just my approach to these things, right? I know I'm not going to get the exact story that I got in the comics because that's not what I want, really. But what I need is the essence of these characters to be captured. And at least in the early going of this first trailer, and it's just a short teaser trailer, but at least in the early going, it seems like we're at least trending in that direction. And, of course, the, I think Paper Girls is going to be a big part of Comic-Con coming up. And I'll get to Comic-Con here in a few minutes. There's still plenty to talk about with Comic-Con. But I wanted to get through some of these trailers first. And that one going to be dropping, again, Paper Girl Season 1 on July the 29th. How about Netflix? A very surprise series from Netflix that might be flying under your radar called Keep Breathing, which will be out on July the 28th. Also dropping all the episodes of this limited series, and Martin Giro is going to be involved in this. Of course, you remember from Blind Spot, you know how much I loved Blind Spot because I talked about it every chance I got. And Brendan Gall and Maggie Kylie going to be also executive producers of this, and Gall and Giro are going to be the co-showrunners of this series. If you didn't see the trailer, it's basically there's a small plane crash in the middle of the Canadian wilderness, and you've got a woman who's you know Melissa. Barrera, who's is is the star of this of the show. She's gonna battle the elements. She's got personal demons that she needs to deal with as well. And she basically just needs to survive at this point. And it's not your typical like survival series either. This has got some thriller elements to it as well. And you see in the trailer how it isn't just about her trying to survive where she is and, and surviving the aftermath of this crash. It is also about clearly she's got some stuff going on. Clearly, there's some demons that she needs to work through, and that's part of it. And I, I think that, you know, you, you're, when you're trapped like this, certain things just sort of start to creep up, right? And that's exactly what seems like is, is happening in this particular situation, where all of a sudden maybe there's stuff that you have haven't been dealing with that, guess what? Now, whether you like it or not, you're going to be dealing with it because you're stuck in the situation that you can't get out of, at least in the moment. Anyway, so it seems like there's more to it than just your simple survival story, and that's what made this interesting to me and made me really, really want to talk about this. So let's keep breathing, and we'll see that in July, July the 28th on Netflix. A new Warner Brothers Brothers Home Entertainment release has been announced for DC Animation, and that is Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons. And if you've been a Super Sons fan like I have, since basically the Rebirth era anyway. This is one that I've been waiting for, for sure. Really surprised to see about this one. This one's going to be coming out on October the 18th. That's going to be on 4K, Blu-ray, digital HD, and so on and so forth. Your typical way that you would get these Warner Brothers releases. And it looks like Starro going to be the villain for us in this one. So you've got Jonathan Kent. You've also got Damien. And basically they've been attacked by Starro. You know, the world's been attacked by Starro. And now they must actually join they must join forces, which you know, again, Super Sons, and rescue you know their dads, Superman and Batman, who kind of the entire Justice League looks like they've been enslaved by a Starro in this movie. And one of the things I've always loved about Super Sons was that fun, you know, oil and water kind of dynamic between Damian and Jonathan who have completely different ideals about pretty much everything, right? But for some reason, they work together as a team and they complement each other so, so well. And you've got Jack Dylan Glazer who's going to be playing Jonathan and you've got Jack Griffo who's going to be playing Damian Wayne. And then you look at the rest of the cast. You've got Troy Baker back as Batman. You've got Travis Willingham as Superman and then you've got a- another amazing voice talents like you've got Laura Bailey is going to be a part of this as well excuse me yes Laura Bailey and then you've also got Tom Kenny who will be a part of this and so many more that are going to be a part of this cast if you want more about the cast go to Down Nerdypodcast.com. I'll have the full listing up there for that and again the animation style is one of those ones that DC animation ever since Apocalypse War has definitely been experimenting with different animation styles, and this one—it took me a minute to kind of get used to this one. And again, go to DanAndNerdyPodcast.com for the trailer and our socials as well. It took me a minute to get used to the animation style, but once I did, I was really taken in by it. And I think that this is going to be a really cool vibe for this movie that they're creating with this new animation style. I'm really glad that they decided to you kind of kind of break from the norm, right, and do something a little different. With each of these movies, and this one, Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons, is one that I'm definitely looking forward to. The only problem is I just got to wait till October, so I'll have to just deal with that. Speaking of Warner Brothers, a bit of a surprise when it comes to Comic-Con plans. Of course, Comic-Con less than three weeks away now. Warner Brothers usually has one of the bigger presences at the con, not just for panels, but the booth at the show floor. If you've never been to Comic-Con, DC... Kind of has this huge centrally located booth with all kinds of different stuff in it. You've seen my if you've been a fan of the show for a while, you've seen my coverage of Comic Con on social media, where you you know you've got the 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 suits from the movies and things like that. You've got artists doing live drawing demos right there at the booth. You've got the signings. You've got all of this different stuff you can consume from DC at their booth. And then Warner Brothers usually has another booth closer to the to the wall of the convention center where they do some stuff there. As well. Well, this year, and this was first reported by the Hollywood Reporter, which I thought was a little bit strange, but hey, what are you going to do? Warner Brothers is going to have zero presence on the show floor as far as booths are concerned. Warner Brothers Discovery, now that the, we are in the merger era of this, of this partnership, no presence on the Comic Con show floor as far as the big booths that you would normally recognize. And that's going to leave a huge hole for me at, at, anyway. It's just going to be weird not having that beacon of that booth on the show floor. But also what was interesting, and I'm going to, I'll cover a little bit of what they are going to do, but what they're not going to do is bring the Arrowverse at all to comic-con at all. I realize these release dates are kind of all over the place, but you're not at least going to bring star girl. Like DC star girl is going to be the one that's going to debut first. I can understand waiting until like New York comic-con to bring a lot of the others but you're not going to bring th- these at all like at all no flash no superman Lois, none of that especially when you're kind of kind of fresh off these finales I mean I know I'm talking about them this week and it'll be you know a couple weeks later but you're you're kind of it's still fresh I don't know why you wouldn't bring these shit you wouldn't even have to bring everybody you don't have to bring every member of all the cast you could do one Arrowverse panel, I say Arrowverse, you know, after what happened with Superman and Lois, but you get what I'm saying, right? These CW series, and I know that there's a lot of turmoil going on with CW as well, but to completely not bring them at all, I just don't get that. And that just, to me, says a lot about the future of these shows. And that's another topic for another show. But they are going to bring the Sandman. They are going to bring Riverdale because this is the final season. Going to give people a chance to say goodbye, which I don't know why you wouldn't do with The Flash because it seems like we're headed towards final season land for that as well. But again, I'm not going to get on my high horse about that. House of the Dragon, of course, is going to be a really, really big one for Warner Brothers. You can kind of say that, you know, you tie this into Lord of the Rings as well, even though that's more of a prime video thing. But of course, Lord of the Rings is going to be a big part of Comic-Con. Then they are going to bring some some interesting stuff. though. Gremlin Secrets of the Mogwai is going to be another one. There's going to be a panel for that. If you're a Looney Tunes fan, it looks like there's going to be a lot of big stuff there. You're going to have some Adult Swim stuff. So a lot of animation, surprisingly enough. And, of course, Green Lantern, Beware My Power, and Harley Quinn are both going to have premieres at Comic-Con as well. It's just weird. In a time where we've been without Comic-Con since 2019, fans are finally getting back to comic-con and making it feel like it's that big event feel again and you decide to just kind of skip it i don't really get why you do that and then isn't this a time when you want to have a presence not just for your tv and movie stuff for your comics as well aren't you tired of getting your ass handed to you by marvel i mean really not just at the box office but at the comic book shops as well Seriously, I mean yes d c is part of the big two, but that's a pretty pr- pretty big distance to two, and it has been for a long time and if i'm d c especially if I'm Warner Brothers discovery discovery coming into this, saying why aren't we winning and one of the re- and this isn't going to help you. sorry, this is not going to help you get back to where you need to be because this is a time where fans want to feel wanted, fans want to feel like you know, you're making a big presence. Like, the effort is there, especially in a time in a merger when you've got things that are really up in the air and you're not sure as a fan what's going to still be here and what isn't. Because, you know, when when you get bought out, it's, it's like any job. When when you work for a place that gets bought out, you have no idea who's going to be going and staying. And usually there's, like, some sort of a mass exodus. So fans are nervous enough as it is. And then you throw this at them, Not not a, not a good move, I don't think. It's not like there isn't going to be some good stuff. It's not like there isn't going to be fun. It's not like there's nothing I'm looking forward to. But the overall perception is not a good one for Warner Brothers Discovery right now. And I really hope that they find a way to make this right. I get you're going to probably do DC Fandom as well. But hey, Marvel's doing D23. They're still going to show up at Comic-Con. I don't know what they're bringing yet because they haven't announced it yet as of me recording this. But still, it's, again, perception not great. But Apple TV has said, hold our beer, we're here for you. Because Apple TV Plus announced huge plans for Comic-Con. And I don't want to go through the whole list of what they're bringing, where, and all that stuff. You can go to com for that. But Severance is going to be coming to Comic-Con for all mankind. You've got Mythic Quest. You've also got C, which is going to be having its final season. Foundation going to be a part of that as well. There's going to be an activation for severance at the hard rock hotel if you're going to be going to comic-con and you can look into that and again yes warner brothers is going to have their house of the dragon activation and that looks like it's going to be freaking incredible that looks like it's going to be really really great but so does the severance one as well i get apples and oranges comparison i get that but if you want to make a big presence in a year where fans deserve it apple tv plus is doing that and I understand and I don't really want to compare the two. But I mean, you look at the two situations and you're like, OK, so Apple's not going to give you your superhero fix that you're missing from D.C., but you know what they are going to bring you They're What they do, the kind of storytelling that they do, they're going to showcase that in a time where there's not as many eyes on other stuff. And that's really, really smart. Now, they probably would have done this anyway. I'm not saying they wouldn't have. But this is a chance for somebody who might not have consumed one of these shows already, Severance especially, because that was an incredible show. And so is For All Mankind. They're all good. Let's just face it. But now the time you're not spending going to the panels you would normally go to at the con, like a sp- like from DC, for example, now you're going, yeah, you know, maybe I should check out that For All Mankind panel. Or, oh, you know, M- Mythic Quest looks like fun. Let's go see what that's all about. Yeah, all of a sudden you're going to be able to do all that because now you have the time to do so. And this and Apple TV Plus clearly sees this as, as an opportunity to raise their awareness of their shows. Not that there isn't a lot of it already because there are, and they've been making a lot of amazing waves. But at the same time, now you're really, really going to make waves and put eyeballs in front of a lot of these shows that might not have been there beforehand. And just increase that. And to me, that's exactly what you want to do. So for everything that Warner Brothers seems to not be doing at Comic-Con this year, Apple TV Plus has picked up that ball and said, yeah, we got it. We're going to go ahead and give you everything you deserve. And I think that's going to pay huge dividends for them, especially not just in the short term, but in the long term as well. And it'll be really interesting to see who else is going to be throwing their hat in the ring and how much these announcements are going to be coming fast and furious over the next week. I guarantee you that. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to Efren Ramirez for joining me this week to talk about Lightyear. Also, follow along with us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. So proud to be partnering with Realm. I don't know if you heard or noticed, but yes, we are part of the Realm network now. And they do a lot of scripted shows. Guess what? We're an unscripted one for them. And I can't wait for all the great stuff that I'll be able to share with you with our partnership with Realm. So excited. And you've heard us talk about their podcasts before, their scripted shows. And there's going to be a lot more of that coming up in the future as well. And some fun stuff planned for Comic-Con too. Make sure you're subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also be able to listen on the Realm app too, by the way, at some point. We're working, working that out right now, getting the shows up there. ...for you too. There's just so many exciting, fun things coming, and I can't wait for you to share it with me. I really, really appreciate your support. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.
3: Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, and now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration – I'll give myself a pat on the back for that – as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin wherever you get your podcasts.